the world is richer when everyone's in it. And, and I think people are just afraid of change, but if you make it approachable and accessible, it, it's the new norm. Welcome to ActorCast, the podcast that broadcasts the work, advice, and insight of actors, writers, directors, producers, and other industry experts in show business. I'm your host, Patrick McAndrew. Sit back, take notes, and enjoy the show. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 54 of ActorCast. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me on this show where we are learning the latest and greatest information from entertainment industry experts. Everybody, today's episode is a great one. We are joined by none other than casting director Danielle Pretzfelder Demchik, who has been an active member of the New York casting community since 2004. Nickelodeon was her casting home for over 14 years, where she tapped into her love of developing young talent. From live action and animation, scripted and unscripted, long form and short form, and even podcasts, she has and loves to cast it all. Some highlights from her Nickelodeon years include The Astronauts, The Barbarian and the Troll, Blue's Clues, You, Bubble Guppies, Dora the Explorer, Drama Club, and Welcome to the Wayne. She departed from Nickelodeon in April of 2022 to form her own casting office, DPD Casting. Danielle is also the co-VP of advocacy for the Casting Society of America, where her work elevates underrepresented communities. She's also a leader in the organization's Equity and Entertainment Committee. She serves on the board of both the Casting Society of America and Casting Society Cares, where her focus is on training and education. Danielle also serves as a faculty advisor for respectability, and she is on the Actors Fund Looking Ahead Advisory Board. Danielle does it all, and she is really making some positive change to the entertainment industry. In this episode, we specifically talk about why Danielle wanted to become a casting director, some of the differences involved in casting large, big-budget projects versus small indie projects. We talk about her time at Nickelodeon, what's it been like having her own casting office, And we also talk a lot about her advocacy work for performers with disabilities. We talk about Disabled Down Center and the recent benefit concert that they had earlier this year. And we also talk about what we can do as an industry to create better opportunities for disabled performers. There is so much great information in this episode. If you like it, please share it with your friends. Head over to ActorCast.fm. Leave us a review. Let us know your thoughts. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest of ActorCast, Danielle Pretzfelder Demchuk. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the ActorCast. Today, we have an amazing guest joining us. Her name is Danielle Pretzfelder Demchik. She is a casting director, producer, and advocate, just so many amazing things within this 
entertainment industry. Danielle, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, we're excited to have you here. As I mentioned before we started recording, you were so generous to me when I had first started recording a variety of different episodes for the actor cast. I had a podcast before this one that I also did that wasn't strictly limited to the entertainment industry. But when I decided I wanted to create a podcast specifically for actors, as well as some writers and directors who tune in as well, you were so helpful in just putting me in touch with a variety of different people in the entertainment industry, whether it was casting directors, agents, or managers. And so after you did that act of kindness, I was just so excited to learn more about you as a casting director, as an artist, as someone who's working in this world. And I was very excited to to have you on the show. So I'm excited to dive in and and you know, go deep in this conversation with you. Well, I'm all about access. I think that's the most important thing um, that we can provide as casting directors. You know, of course, being, there has to be some parameters to such access. I'm not saying I'm giving out everybody in the industry's, you know, cell phone number and email address, but I think it's really important that in order to create more inclusion and to create more opportunity. And if we're saying that we want to be seeing new people in this business and a lack of nepotism and see inclusion of people of all genders, all abilities, all types, it's about creating access. That's, that's where you begin. Yeah, it's, it's very refreshing to hear. And I think a lot of people who tune into this podcast as well are emerging actors from a variety of different backgrounds. And so I think that's it's encouraging for them as well to hear about this. I'm wondering if you could start off by sharing with us, and you might have just answered it a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could share, why did you want to become a casting director? Well, I was an actor as a kid. Um, I sort of fell into it. I was very lucky, I guess, in that sense. I always wanted to be an actor. My mom, who is an amazing advocate for disability and for veterans, actually. Um, She's worked at a veteran hospital for many years, but she, before she was at a veteran's hospital, she had a patient whose daughter happened to be an agent, and I would just sing at the nursing home because... My mom would have to take me to work with her as a single parent when I when she was when I was much younger at this point I guess and this woman was like wow she she's really good she should meet my daughter my mom was like no 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 she should never meet your daughter like I, she knew her daughter because she had been treating her for a while and I you know acted as a kid but I always wanted to be on the other side my favorite part of the process as much as I enjoyed performing was really going to an audition, seeing who the other kids were in the room, kind of deciding in my head, like, who's going to book it? And often I was right. And my parents would be like, that's such a horrible attitude. You're leaving this audition knowing you didn't book it. And not to say that I didn't book things, but like there were times where I was in a mix and match and I could just tell like who the producer was responding to or, or what it was that that brand was looking for or that you know, creative team was looking for or something like that. And I just loved that process of the audition, like being in a part of auditions and being in the audition room. And so when I kind of found out at age eight that it was an industry, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. And I held on to every piece of material that I got through the audition process. It was at that point, it was, you know, faxes were like the hot thing. So I had all of my (laughs) sides that were faxed to me. 
everything that I could hold on to because I loved the audition process. That was really what excited me. And like I said, I grew up around just a lot of different types of people around. I grew up with around deaf culture quite a bit, as well as around a lot of laryngectomies and uh, veterans. And I have a lot of different genders within my family and a lot of different family makeups and things like that. And so to me, the world was always, it always kind of looked the way that I guess, I didn't realize it was unusual, the way that my world looked and that being in a in a classroom that was inclusive was unusual. It's actually very full circle. I, I got an audition from for a family this week from a kid that I grew up with who was, I think, the first probably person I knew with a disability. I was I was three and he was in uh, preschool with me. Um, and it was really cute. Wow. His family submitted on something this week and I was so excited. But, you know, I just never knew that was unusual. There were a lot of families that were, you know, mom was black, dad was white, where I grew up. It just wasn't really a thing. And then when I came into the entertainment industry and saw that that was not quite as much what you know, it was something people were striving for, but maybe didn't really understand how to get there. And there was all of these things. I was just, to me, it was like, I want to change that landscape. Like that's, that, you know, the world is richer when everyone's in it. And, and I think people are just afraid of change, but if you make it approachable and accessible, it, it's the new norm. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's important to have that sort of open mindset with regards to, okay, just because something has always been done one way doesn't mean that we can't do it a different way or doesn't mean that we can't do something different altogether. So you knew from a young age that you were very interested in casting. So did you end up, was this something that you went to school for or was it something that you just started working in a casting office as as an assistant or intern or something like that? How is that process from going as a kid actor into being a professional casting director? Well, there was definitely a gap. Um, we moved to Florida when I was 10. So, and at that point there was no industry in Florida. So I went to performing arts school where I really focused on directing more than performing. And my favorite part of directing was always casting. And like in my, I had a directing class and I loved doing my parts of casting as well as helping other people with casting their projects. And that kind of continued on. I went to college. I went to Penn State for two years. But at the summer after my freshman year, I interned in casting. And they offered me a job. And I said to my parents, like, I'm good. I'm out. Like, I know what I want to do already. I've known this since I was eight. And they're like, no, you got to finish college. So I went back for one more year at Penn State. And they told me I could transfer to a school as good as Penn State or better was the only way I could transfer. And that if I wanted to work in casting full time, which was what this offer was, I also had to go to school full time. So I said, okay. So I did that, which was crazy, wow. but, but it was worth it. Yeah. And so I interned, I was really, really fortunate to have really amazing mentors that just believed in me and like handed me work in a way. They were like, this is how you do it. We're going to show you how to do it and then do it. And if you have a question, we're available, but like you're going to you're going to take the day player roles on or you're going to schedule all the appointments for these days and you're going to do all these things. They just showed me how to do it. I guess they could tell that I loved it and knew how to do it and I mean I was learning how to upload tapes when it was first becoming a thing to upload, you know, online. 
getting paid a stipend for it, work, staying in the office till like three in the morning, uploading tapes because not because they were telling me I needed to, but I, I worked full time and went to school full time. So that was the only way to do it. Sometimes I would take a nap on the couch that was in this one space <laughs> I remember very well. But I mean, I, I got the opportunity to be in rooms with these incredible, iconic casting directors, which to me was huge. And then be in the room with, you know, huge directors. Like the first movie I worked on was The Good Shepherd with Robert De Niro. So, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. It doesn't really get That's much bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it really shows how hard you've worked through the years because you have worked on a, a wide variety of different projects from from whether it's been film or or doing animation. I know you've done that as well. Uh, you've also done podcasts too. So I'm curious if you could share with us what the casting process is like within these different mediums is each medium very distinct and different in the way in which it's cast or is it a pretty similar process for all the mediums and then it's just tailoring it slightly depending on what medium you're working in in my experience it's less of the medium and it's more of the structure of who hires you and the type of production it is so like if you're hired by a production company to cast something versus like a, a big bigger studio to cast something, or if it's already a, a project that already has distribution and you need the distribution team's weigh-in. Like it just depends on that or how discreet you have to be about certain details or what kind of NDAs you're dealing with, um, what the timeline is like. All of those things seem to be more of the impact to me than the medium per se, but... Yeah, I mean, there is some there is some difference. And of course, the other big thing is I'd say like voiceover of any sort versus, you know, live action is a very different process, especially in terms of how fast your turnaround can be with auditions because people don't need to be off book. And also just that everything is is remote often. It's not like with, you know, all of our auditions at this, at this time pretty much are remote, but ultimately like the record could, is likely going to be remote with that, that you would go from home. Um, there's some things that are back, you know, to in-person, but that's the big, a big difference is like the timeline can be different. Like I have callbacks for a project next week and I'm like, well, well, we could record as soon as the next week because there's no, you know, there's no COVID tests that needs to be done. There's no fittings that need to be done. None of that pre-pro stuff that, you know, might only take two days, but takes two days needs to be done. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to hear about it in that way that with the medium, I guess it's more so just kind of those smaller logistics when you're talking about the medium itself. But then when you're talking about the size of the project and who all is involved, that's when the process of casting really changes a lot. Is, is it really a big contrast and difference between working on a big, big budget movie, for example, versus, you know, a small independent film? Typically, yes. Huge difference. I mean, there are some projects where you still need someone to sign off on everything, but like other really small indies, they ask me opinions on things or like ask my advice that in a way that like if I, I mean, I actually just had kind of the same scenario with two very different teams related to having talent work 
over Christmas, like the week Christmas to New Year's. One team, like the bigger network type team, was like, that's what we want to do, and we're going to do it. I said, okay, well, you have the money, so you just have to pay the talent. Like, it's a very big deal. It's kids also to ask par- a par- one parent and a child to be in a foreign country alone over the holidays, keeping in mind they also will have missed Thanksgiving. So that's Thanksgiving, Christmas, or Hanukkah, or whatever you celebrate perhaps in the winter, as well as just you know family vacation time and New Year's. And to me, like, I put the talent first. Like, I, I care about these people if I'm bringing them into a mi- the mix on something. And I would feel horrible asking them to miss that many things anyway, even with, you know, financial compensation. But then another project asked me yesterday, they said they wanted to shoot because it needs to shoot on like a college campus. So they needed to, well, they don't need it to be during the college campus time break, but that would be ideal because there'd be less, you know, people to circumvent for renting out this one space. And I told them it's, I mean, we don't have, I said, as a production, we don't have the money, you know, to, to buy out the kind of people that we would need to buy out for the holidays. And when I've had to book talent over the holidays, even if they're like C-list actors, you know, there's a lot that they, that they ask for because they they should. I mean, you're asking them to be in a foreign place over the holidays and all of those sorts of things. And the second I said it with this other team, the the smaller production team, not even a question. They were like, that's a really good point. We want these actors to feel, you know, like they're, it's also more of a favor. It's, it's a project that's disability specific. It's modified low budget. Like people want, are gonna wanna be a part of it because it's a beautiful story, but to give up your holidays with, your kids and family maybe not this other team was like that's ridiculous we're not with this bigger budget we're not paying them we're not changing the dates and I said well I'm gonna probably walk because I I can't do that to people I don't feel it's ethical because it was changing the dates it wasn't like they agreed and then that they agreed to those dates you know what I mean they were changing them yeah absolutely well, and I I think that that's that's really refreshing to hear from from an actor's standpoint, that there are people like yourself out there who are looking out for the talent. Because as you know, the the life of an actor could feel very lonely. Uh, you're, you're going out for auditions uh, all the time, or maybe not at all, depending on the time of the year. You're, you're, you know, you're facing a lot of rejection. But at the end of the day, if you know that that casting director or that director or that assistant on the other side of the table has your best interest in heart, whether you get the role or not, then I I think that really helps actors continue to work hard, continue to develop their craft and to be able to go into the next audition feeling like a stronger actor, whether they, they book the gig or not. Yeah. It's really important to me that actors feel seen and that they feel like they can that they're not being taken advantage of, that casting is approachable. We're on your team. Like I, and I don't think I would be setting a family up for success if I'm sending them somewhere where they're going to miss all of these holidays. And, and then, you know, hopefully this project is a big success and, and they, they will have things where they need to perform at the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade, or they need to be places that require missing, you know, that they're going to sing at the opening of, the tree at Rockefeller, like I, I see all of these things happening for them, but those are opportunities that they 
you know, that are once in a lifetime that you that you get that are, you know, specific to that time frame to tell somebody that you that you're committing to something from one range of dates to another range of dates. And also, like, it's not it's not something that needs to be done at that time. It's it's not something your family can come to and watch you do. Yeah. You have to be isolated. It's just not it's not necessary. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's yeah, it's amazing to, to, as I said before, to see a casting director be able to take a stand against those sort of things where it's like, OK, this doesn't need to be done at this time or or it doesn't need to be done this way. I'm wondering if we could uh, transition now into talking about because you were just talking about how specifically in situations where you're working with kids and you're working with families and I know you worked at Nickelodeon for, I, I guess it was 14 years, over 14 years. Over which 14, is, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Nickelodeon is just such this staple for kids today, as well as, you know, millennials. And we were growing up as well. You've cast shows like Blue's Clues, Dora the Explorer. I'm wondering if you could share with us what it was like working for a large media company like Nickelodeon in their casting office. I mean, it was wonderful. Like I, and I still work with them and work on projects with them, you know, to this day, I didn't, I left with a great relationship and, and I'm very fortunate that my team was so supportive of my departure and I continue to work with them on all facets of, of content that they create, whether it's I'm working on a live tour that's one of the very big franchises of the of the preschool space. And then I still work on a lot of the content, you know, that I was doing there as well as the podcast. So it was a great experience. It was just time for me as a casting director to make a leap. Being in-house at, is very unusual at a network. And I had the really incredible ability to be both a network executive and a casting director at times. But as the brand became bigger and different things were changing, it just no longer was the business structure that was really best for the company. It was kind of what was decided. And I was just asked, you know, do you want to be a network executive or do you want to be a casting director? And I said, I want to be a casting director. And, it, you know, it was just kind of time to, to make a leap with that. But I mean, I got to be a part of the projects that you named from like the ground up, you know, I got to be in meetings with development teams when shows were being pitched that are now on air, you know, Dora was something that existed before I got there, but I got to be a part of the spinoffs and the, the creation of, of those like Explorer girls and into the city and all of these different Dora specific projects Diego actually already existed before I was there but you know different projects like that and then when Blues Clues came back I got to be a part of that from the ground up and find Josh who uh, you know is a really good example of somebody that I just I knew it when he walked in the room and we worked together to make it that he you know that he booked it like it was a really long process to you know speaking of like processes and that kind of stuff to be the face of such an iconic you know, franchise is is a really big deal. We saw thousands of people. We did online open calls before those were a thing. That was another thing that was really cool about Nickelodeon was when I had an idea, they would just say like, yeah, like give me a pitch, like write it up and let's do it. 
And that was the same with like the uh, performers with disabilities open call that we did. I partnered with Michael D. Cohen on the Trans Youth Acting Challenge, which was, you know, the first of its kind. But the brand promoted us doing things like that. They encouraged us taking a leap and doing things that other brands weren't doing to create inclusive content and things that our audiences wanted to see, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. I can imagine that it, to, to be able to play a role in so many of these iconic kid shows I, I can only imagine that it must have been an amazing experience. And then to be able to take those experiences and apply them to now your own casting office, DPD casting, <laughs> I, I, you know, I imagine that being able to take those experiences and apply them to your own casting office, along with what you want to pursue as, a, as an individual casting director, aside from a larger organization, has had to be a a very worthwhile endeavor thus far, I imagine at least. Yeah, it's been great. And I mean, the teams, it's funny how, you know, the teams that I worked with there after, you know, being there for over 14 years, some people are now at competitors that I'm getting to work with as well, which I wouldn't have had before. Um, some people have left the children's content game and are coming to me with totally different things. But but I love working in kids' content. I mean, I, I, I love working in a lot of different types of content, but I, I do love that. And to me, from an, exclus- an, a, a, like an inclusivity standpoint, when the first thing you see as a kid is seeing inclusive content, it just shapes your view of media for the rest of your life. And that's been a really amazing part of being at Nick and that part, that the team was always so supportive and inclusive with that. Like there was one of the last projects I worked on there. I was like, you know what? We're looking for dancers. Why don't we put some wheelchair dancers into the content? And I talked, I didn't, you know, just put it in front of the director. I talked to the choreographers. I wanted them to have their, you know, I wanted their POV because they're who's creating what these kids are going to be doing. And they were so excited. They were like, we have this one song that's all about trains and locomotives and to have someone that actually is on wheels, like the the way that, you know, we all would work together. And now kids at home are watching that content and it's like, yeah, people in wheelchairs dance. Like they're part of the, you know, blah, blah, blah dance squad. And that was what was really cool about Nick was that they, you really did shape kids you know, the first things they were seeing media wise or on their apps and hearing that kind of stuff was really cool. And and being a part of like the rebrand and launch of Noggin, which I still work with, which is, you know, and and, and face coming back, like all of oh, that kind man. of stuff that That's we classic. grew up with. Yeah, it's really, really cool. You know, it's it's so full circle. Yeah. Well, that that leads us nicely to Disabled Down Center and the, you know, you were a producer for this benefit concert, Disabled Down Center, a few months ago, or I guess, I guess just about two months ago. Incredible. Absolutely amazing. I had the opportunity to attend and I could go on and on about how amazing it is, but I want our listeners to hear it from you. What What is this, this program, this, this advocacy that you are doing? Any sort of inclusivity is important to me, as I've said many times, I guess, today. But one of my friends who I actually met, like doing one of my favorite things, doing a 
doing a training class and this like three prong approach that we'll do with CSA where we would do a town hall and then training and then do an open call for different underrepresented communities. Um, I met one of my now best friends just through doing that, which is so crazy. I have known him now for over six years. We figured out recently I've known him longer than my husband, very slightly, but <laughs> he would be like, like, he would travel with me actually to LA when I would go, if I was you know there for business, I would just be like, let me get a wheelchair accessible room and have Brennan come with me. It'll be really fun. Like I'll have someone fun to go out to dinner with after my sessions. But he came to me with this idea that was really brilliant. Just kind of looking at shows that are on Broadway right now that could totally have disabled performers in the lead roles and we're just not seeing it and there's no reason not to as well as you know as we flesh the idea out you know shows that are not currently on Broadway but hopefully will come back and you know very iconic roles but just creating with you know Tony award-winning producers and directors and I, I mean, I cast it and I produced it too, but I mean, my role was really more so like talent producing, I guess, per se, but just showing that like these people exist and uh, watch them, like they can do this. And we had performers of all ages, all different types of disabilities, all experience levels, people who have been on Broadway multiple times, people who you know, just have not gotten that chance yet. There was one talent who I actually met through a friend of mine who is a little person who's very connected in with the, the Little People of America Association and sent me a video of this kid at their talent show, I don't know, like four or five years ago and was like, have you ever met this kid? He lives in New Jersey. Like, how do you not, like, you know every kid. And I was like, no, I've never met this kid, but I want him in my office on Monday. And he, I, I, you know, was able to connect him with an agent who they're, you know, they are thrilled with him. And after uh, Disabled Down Center, he actually now is signed with a manager as oh, well. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I've booked him a few times, but like a kid like that, who just, he just hasn't booked something huge yet, but like he will. I mean, so many people came up to me after the show and they're like, who is that kid? He's incredible. Oh, and he's so good. Yeah, and he's so special, but like, and the family is is wonderful, and like, he just loves to sing. I mean, the first time I met him, he just kind of was telling me about how he's a real like he was really little at that point, but he was like, "I'm a people tell me I'm a really good singer." I was like, "You are." Like, I was asking him, you know, why? Like, how did he start singing? And that was what he basically told me. But but there's just so many things where people don't think outside the box where. And the whole idea that kind of came to, to Brennan was based off Rachel Handler, who sang, who was in the show, who sang um, My White Knight from Music Man. Like, why couldn't Marion and Music Man have a disability of some sort? Like, there's nothing in the story that doesn't make sense there. And as a casting director, that's what I do is I just bring people in that make sense for the role. Like, there's no reason that, you know, the barista at your coffee shop doesn't have a limb difference. Like, they make coffee, too. You know, there's no reason that the person who's driving your bus isn't non-binary. Like, non-binary people drive buses, too. You know, like, doesn't need to be in the character description. Yeah, what I think was amazing about this concert is that it it just it like you were saying it encourages people to think outside the box and to just say 
oh, okay, this is something that is 100% possible. The talent's there. Well, you, you like use the talent, you know, and, and just the, the fact that so, so many stories can be told from, from this perspective. And that goes back to what you were saying, too, about inclusivity. And when people then see that on their television screens, when they then see that on stage, that will then encourage them to to get up on stage or 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 to just see themselves in, in what's being performed. How how do you believe and I think I in in a lot of ways you're already doing this, but I, I guess as a whole, how do you think the entertainment industry could provide more opportunities for, for people with disabilities? Is it does it does it start with the the writers and, and them writing scripts or is it kind of like what you were saying? Is it thinking outside the box? Is it a combination of, of all these different types of things? I mean, it starts. Yeah, it starts at concept meetings and writers rooms and having disabled writers in writers rooms. Um, I'm about to start a really exciting project with Respectability, who does really incredible work with with creators labs that include people with disabilities and getting them in getting them that training that they need to to get into a writer's room and get getting them that access because people should be writing from lived experience of course there are things that we can all write about that are fantastical or by doing research but to say that there's no writer with fill-in-the-blank disability in this day and age, just it just doesn't make sense. And and by giving giving those people the training and the opportunities is really important. And then from there, it's also just going the extra mile as a casting director. I do a ton of grassroots outreach. My grassroots outreach is, I mean, of course, if I'm looking to cast a celebrity, I'm not going to email you know the the neighborhood playhouse in you know Boise. <laughs> But if I'm looking for someone who's just, you know, a really fresh face or something very specific, and I get hired by productions to do that specific work consulting wise, or to cast like one, you know, skit in a sketch project where it's supposed to take place in a specific area and they need all people from said country, you know, things like that, because I'll do the grassroots, out, grassroots outreach and from all my work within CSA advocacy wise, I do that. But, you know, the, the, the whole thing is also creating opportunities for people to get the training so that they can be as strong performers as somebody else who would come in, which is the second part of Disabled Down Center is providing training to disabled performers as well as allies, because inclusion includes all of us. So that's something that we launched, and our first training uh, masterclass is October 15th, and then we have like three or four coming up after that. But it's about preparing people, and, and it's not just acting training. We also have a speech-language pathologist who focuses on vocal health that's going to be coming, because um, a big part of, you know, when you have a different shaped body a lot of people don't want to train you as a singer or they don't feel like they have the tools or they don't know how to help with certain things so we have someone coming that's gonna just kind of talk about you know vocal health broadly because that's something that all performers whether you sing or not is is important as I listen to my voice that sounds like it's dying today from so much speaking <laughs> um, my speech pathologist mother is like no <laughs> but it's really important that we all have those sort of things in our tool, you know, in our toolbox that are not always financially easy to tap into. Like that's 
you know, not something that is covered by insurance necessarily or, you know, is not easy to access. So that's a big part of Disabled Down Center as well. But it really does start in the writer's room as well as in those development, you know, offices, having somebody with the disability that is, you know, on the development team at a network or a part of that process is is huge. Yeah, it, it's amazing. If everyone just does just a little bit, it's amazing how much change can be made. It's 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 really inspiring and encouraging to hear about this. From your experience, you've been working so many years as a casting director now. How do you believe, what or what do you believe is the best way for actors, whether they come from underrepresented communities or whether they're just starting out what do you how do you believe uh, or i guess what is the best way you would say for actors to build relationships with casting directors is it through auditioning is it through taking workshops in your experience what has been most fruitful for actors in this industry over time in order to to build strong professional relationships with casting directors? Well, I think being your own advocate and self-submitting if you're not represented or if you feel like you're underrepresented for things that you're right for. I mean, there are a few actors I feel like no matter what breakdown I put out, they submit on, which, you know, in some ways is like, you know, I, I know that they love certain types of content that I'm working on. And so it's flattering that they are really invested in, you know, sketch comedy, or they are really invested in the kids and family space, because that's not for everybody. But being, you know, very much specific about what you submit on, but also like including that note, like, to remind me, maybe like, oh, you know, I loved meeting you on said project, like putting that note on your actor's access submission, or I know it sounds ridiculous, but following directions, like I have a project right now where I said, please, everybody in your notes, put a link to, you know, past performance footage that would be right for this and your height. And like maybe 5% of the actors are putting that, maybe. Oh, wow. Like it's in the <laughs> breakdown. You know, at first I thought maybe I left the note out and I thought I put it in. No. So I know it sounds crazy, but following directions goes a really, really long way. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say creating your own content and being... Like understanding if you invite us to something, we may be able to go, we may not be able to go, but like sending that footage or sending the invite, you know, extending the invite. Like I always, I think that's lovely. Like I always think that's nice. If somebody's really pushy about it, no, not so much. But I had an actor that said, you know what, for the whole run of the show, I'm going to make sure that there's a ticket that, you know, is at the door just in case like you end up being able to come, you know, like that doesn't really take that much work. But to, to this actor, it was really important that I see them in action. I haven't been able to see, you know, with the pandemic, we haven't seen a lot of people on stage in, in you know, a while. Um, I've seen them, you know, submit great auditions and they've come close on things and we've kept in touch on that. But, you know, it's always nice to include a note on a submission or like something that's relevant to what the project is. Like there's something that I'm casting right now and someone said like, oh my gosh, you know, this, it's a comedy special for a specific comedian on Showtime. And they were like, I like wouldn't normally submit for something like this because it's featured extra work. But, and I, and I personally as a casting director don't even usually cast that, but for this particular scene, because it's, you know, a, 
so hands-on with this particular comedian, they asked principal casting to cast it. And I loved that an actor put a note that was like, I, this scene sounds so fun. Like, I would love to do this. And, you know, so-and-so is my favorite comedian. So, and I'm, I am, you know, and also making it clear, like, I'm available in New York because the resume kind of looks like they've been other places, which a lot of us have been in the last, you know, few years. So things like that, to me, go a really long way. Anything that just kind of, including that note and something specific, like I just cast something where the actor needed to be eating ice cream and they put a note in the their submission. Someone was like, you can like give me an audition for this or not because I'll be doing this on, you know, like the shoot day. Either I'll be eating ice cream on said day, either way. Or something, I'll be eating ice cream shirtless on a beach, either way. Like something funny that, you know, was, it did stand out. Like, yeah, yeah. That that kind of stuff goes a long way. Cause, and it was specifically looking for someone who was very funny. Like that was the role. So, and was willing to make a fool of themselves. You know, someone a little heavier set, sitting on a beach, eating ice cream, falls on their chest, and then they're like licking it off their chest. Like I need someone who is not afraid to just go there, you know? And if your note says that to me, I'm like, Okay, even if he looked like I was, you know, if it was someone I was kind of on the fence about, I'm going to probably give them the opportunity to tape and they're probably going to make me laugh. Right. And so, it's, yeah, it sounds like it's, even if it's just this in the smallest way, making a, a, a genuine human connection, you know, outside of, outside of performing the work itself, it's bringing yourself to the work. That's what it's all about. That's what this whole business is about is we want... I want to get to know you. I want like, there's been a few tapes where like someone does something that I just think is so human or funny and it just, it's endearing. You know, it could be, it could be any number of things, but we're not looking for you to be picture perfect and polished. At least I'm not, I'm looking for someone who brings that humanity and, and feels really real and often brings something a little bit different to whatever it is that that they're doing like just make it make it your own uh danielle i cannot thank you enough for joining us on the actor cast today and not only for taking the time to join us but also in the work that you're doing as a casting director you are really making some incredible positive change in this industry what you're doing with all your advocacy work what you're doing with uh disabled down center that it's it's those kind of things that really make a lasting change over time. And so I, I feel, as I said before, I feel so lucky to have gotten the opportunity to have you on this show. Before we part ways, I'm just wondering if you could share with us, where can our listeners find out more about you and, and all the, the great work and projects that you're up to? I mean, I post all my projects on Actors Access and Breakdown. I, I Everything goes on Actors Access. Um, again, from an accessibility standpoint, I'm looking for people that aren't only repped. Um, most of my projects go on casting networks and backstage as well. And then I also am not like a personal social media person per se. So my Instagram is really work focused. Sorry to my family that probably would like to know, you know, something else about me other than what I'm casting. But uh, DPD casting is is my Instagram handle. And my website is DPD Casting. I answer every email that I get through there eventually. It sometimes takes two to three weeks, but 
like I said, I pride myself on being accessible. Um, that's, that's why I'm in this business. So you can always reach me for better or worse. Yeah, I'll make sure to include the links to those in our show notes. So listeners out there, all you have to do is scroll down in your show notes and click those various links provided. Danielle, any parting words of advice for our actors before we head out? I mean, follow directions, like I said, and just bring yourself to a role. If you know that's what we're looking for when I when I bring someone in, I want to see them, I'm not looking for like a certain version of them or something else other than them. It's the coolest thing about being an actor is that you get to if you. I think the the people that work the most are the most authentic. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of ActorCast. You can head to ActorCast.fm and leave us a review to let us know what you thought of this episode. If you haven't already done so, sign up for our newsletter to get the latest and greatest information on upcoming guests, showcases, and much more. I look forward to catching you all in the next episode, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create.